0: Thank you, Scott. You know, I'm, I'm pretty amazed at the restraint you showed. You went all the way through introducing your family without mentioning that yesterday your son got accepted to the University of Tennessee, which if you know anything about Scott Gilmore, you know that's a huge deal. So that, that probably took a lot of restraint, but congratulations. We're excited for you. Well, it doesn't really take long for your kids to start learning the power Of the why questions. I mean, at first, it's pretty much a stalling tactic, you know what I mean? Where they're trying to delay bedtime. And so the story you're telling, they start asking, well, why did this happen and why did this happen? They're just trying to to extend it out as far as they can. That's how they start with the why questions. But as they get older, it starts to get more complicated and they start asking, uh, why questions that hey, you're, you as a parent, you're going to have to work to explain. Well, why do bad things happen? Why did grandma pass away? Why, why are we here? Or maybe even more complicated than any of those for your parents. Why is mommy going to have another baby? Uh, they, they start asking more of these why questions. But even for us as, as adults, uh, why can be pretty powerful, especially when it comes down to our motives, Why do we do what we do? The answer to your why question is going to make a big difference in how you go about your job, how you live at home, everywhere else in your life. When you have a strong reason and you know the purpose of what you are doing, why you are doing it, you're going to give it some more. When there's a strong answer to that why question, you are going to have a stronger motivation. And the same is true in the Christian Life. Why are you living the Christian life? Why are you here at church? Well, why would you care about having a godly family? If you don't have a strong answer to that, well, then there's not going to be much strong effort put into it. And we want to really address that why question tonight. And we want to do that from Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. So if you have a Bible, please open it up to Colossians 3, and we want to look at the first four verses uh, tonight. Uh, Next week, we'll be back. Uh, We'll actually kind of get rolling this year, following up with Pastor Mike's sermons. He's kicking off uh, a new series uh, this weekend. But tonight, we want to advance our uh, cornerstone theme this year by talking about our motivations. And as you get there to Colossians chapter 3, I want us to get situated with the surroundings. First, if you're There, just go back a few verses to the end of chapter 2, verse 20. Chapter 2, verse 20, which says, If, with Christ, you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Uh, Basically saying, hey, forget about all these old rules saying, hey, don't do this, do this. That's not what the Christian life is all about. But then let's get into chapter three and let's go past our passage to chapter three, verse five, where he says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And then he goes on to list all these things that you should stop doing or in verse eight, but now you must put them all the way. And here's more things you should stop doing. And then verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, Holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness. And, and here's a list of things that as a Christian you should start doing. So chapter two, it's saying, hey, it's not about all these rules and regulations. Don't do this, do this. And then chapter three, it's saying, hey, stop doing all these things and start doing all these things. Well, what, what gives? How, how do you explain for that? Well, on one level, chapter two is very much talking about very surface level things. All things that were just external uh, and, and like that, but chapter three is focusing much more on our attitudes, uh, things like anger, things like impurity, or treating other people with kindness and, and, and humility. so that 's one big difference between chapter two and chapter three. I think the biggest difference is really the motivation. Well, what is driving us to do that? Where chapter two it 's just, well these are the rules, and I want to kind of earn my way and my place in god 's family, so i 'm going to just keep all the rules so I can be a good. Person. Well, chapter 3, there's a different motivation. What is that motivation? That's what we're going to see in the first four verses. Let me read those for us. It says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So why should you live the Christian life? Why should you start doing all the th- things that it's going to say later in chapter three? right? The core of that motivation it's really about a connection with Jesus Christ. that, that now you have a life that is united with him, so much so that it says your life is hidden with Christ and God. Your life now is all wrapped up in Jesus Christ. Uh, Hurricanes have been all over the news uh, lately. It seems just one after another, kind of coming through the Caribbean and and coming, in many cases, to different parts of America. And in the northern hemisphere, hurricanes, they spin counterclockwise. Maybe you've heard of the Coriolis effect, where on the southern hemisphere, they They spin clockwise. It's a totally different direction. It's like that as a Christian, that your life now that you have been saved and you are following Christ and he is living inside of you, your life is turning a totally different way. You have crossed the equator. And that's because there's there's something new right at the center of your life that everything is revolving around. And it's not a something, it's a someone. It is Jesus Christ. And as we really explore that, we, we want to look at this passage. And I want to break it down, not kind of in sequential order of the passage. But I want to look at what does this passage say about the past? What does it say about the present? And what does it say about the future? Let's start with what, the things that it says in the past tense. And there's two uh, main phrases there. The first one is how it starts. If then you have been raised. If you are a Christian, you have been raised with Christ. And then verse 3 it says, you have died. If you are a Christian, you have died with Christ and you have been raised with Christ and you have a totally new life now, a life that is united with Christ. And point number one, what this is telling you to do and how to motivate yourself is you need to live out your new life, live out your new life. A lot of what the New Testament really is saying is be who you are. Christian, you, you've, you've been born uh, again. You're a totally new person now. Uh, live that out. And this whole idea of dying with Christ and being raised with Christ. Colossians talks more about that. If you're in chapter 3, let's just go back to the middle of chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. Let me read those for us. It says, "And you." that that, that you were trapped, that you were helpless. But Jesus Christ comes busting in to set you free. And and part of the problem here is what it talks about, that record of debt that stood against you. Everybody in this room has a record of debt. I know I'm not talking about your credit score or your credit card statement. I'm talking about your sin. All of us have a record of debt of sin. Would you take a minute to consider yours right now? The record of debt that stands between you and God? All the bad things that you've done, your deepest, darkest secrets, all, all the bad attitudes that ha- that you've had, the, the negative feelings of, of hatred towards other people that you've had, words that have hurt other people, every act of, of selfishness. You, you got any of those in your past? I, I know I've got them in in mind. All of that, that record of debt. Imagine if there was a piece of paper that had that all printed out on it. Everything you've ever done, every bad thought you have ever thought. Well, What's happened to that? If you're a Christian, it says it has been nailed to the cross. Imagine Jesus going to the cross, holding that piece of paper that has everything you've ever done wrong on it. And as he's nailed to the cross, it's not for anything that he has done, but it's because of what you did. And it's because of what I did. And as the nails pierce his hands, his blood flows and covers your sin. So that the Bible can say, it's like your sin has been nailed to the cross. It's been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. It is finished. It is Done. That's what the Bible says about your sin if you're a Christian. Now, here's the question. Why in the world would you want to go out and keep doing that? Well, why would you want to keep living that way when that way is, is done? It's all been wiped away. It's been forgiven. And if we are saying, oh, well, I want to keep going doing that, we, show we have no understanding of what happened for us on the cross. When God has given us complete and total Forgiveness. Now, forgiveness is a huge benefit in the Christian life. But I also want us to realize it's not the only one. Most of you with your jobs, you've got some kind of benefits that come with your employment. And there might be a list of them. And some of them are a huge deal. Maybe you think about your health insurance that you get through your job. Some of them are smaller. But you've got benefits. Well, there is a huge list of benefits to being a Christian. And right there at the top of the list is forgiveness, that your sin is nailed to the cross. But we also need to understand that's not the only benefit on the list. And I think a lot of people, they just think, oh, Christianity, well, your, your sins are forgiven, and, and that's it. No, that's huge, but there's, there's more. There's more that comes with being a Christian. And another part of it is this idea, not just that your sin is forgiven, but you are now free from it. You, you see it there, the whole idea that you've been raised with Christ, From your dead uncircumcised flesh. Or verse 15 in chapter 2. That the rulers and authorities have been disarmed. Sin doesn't have this power over you anymore that it had when you were dead in it. And, And so why should you live the Christian life? Well, Because now it's who you are. Jesus didn't just take your sin and nail it to the cross. He rose again so that you could live a new life. And his life gives power to you as you are united with him. Live out that new life. But I encourage some of you here tonight to ask, do you have that new life? Do you know that your sin is nailed to the cross? And have you seen that these new desires come alive in you and a new power start to work in you to overcome the sin that once controlled you? Because you can't be your own savior. You can't say, you know what? I'm just gonna go out and, and be a, a good guy or I'm gonna go be a righteous person and I, I, I can just be a godly husband and father. No, the only way you can do that is if Christ is at work is at work within you. The only way you can do that is if you've turned from your sin, if it's been nailed to the cross and now Christ is living inside you and you can say with Paul in Galatians that I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I Lives, but now Christ lives in me. Can you say that tonight? That's where it's got to start. There has to be a new life in you that now you live out. And that, if you're a Christian, is something that has happened in the past. But that brings us to the present. Back in Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4, the things that it really focuses on in the present tense, there's two commands. Uh, The first one there is in verse 1 that says, Seek the things above. And verse two, very similar, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And with that, there comes a few statements. The first one, when it tells you, seek the things that are above, it says, that's where Christ is. That's where he is right now, seated at the right hand of God. And then verse three talks about that you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. As we think, especially about those commands there, seek the things that are above, set your mind on things that are above. Uh, That helps us think point number two, you need to live with a new focus. Live with a new focus. Seek the things that are above. Now, you might say, well, that's kind of hard. What does that mean? That sounds so ephemeral and airy, and I start conjuring up pictures of white clouds and harps and white robes and, and all these things, what does it mean to seek the things that are above? Well, Paul is not trying to make you think about clouds and uh, white robes and, and harps. That's, that's not what he's trying to make you think about. What he's saying is, as a Christian, now it's like you have this whole new, new compass inside of you. That there's a new north in your life, something that's always pulling you a certain direction. That you realize, okay, now there's, there's new and heavenly realities that are going to affect my daily responsibilities in life. And, and I'm going to live every day with that set of values. The values of the heavenly kingdom are going to invade my everyday life. And, and when we're talking about the things that are above, again, first and foremost, it's not a thing. It's somebody. Because it says, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And when the Bible talks about Christ being seated at the right hand of God, that is a position of power. That is a position of authority. That is a position of exaltation. Uh, just listen to this. It uses the same idea in Acts chapter five, verse 31, which says, God exalted him talking about Jesus at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. man. I love that there's two titles that that verse uses, saying Christ at the right hand of God, he is your leader and he is your savior. And you should think about him in both of those ways in your life. He is your leader. So what does that mean then to seek the things that are above? It means why well, I'm going to follow that leader. That every day when I wake up, I want to consider the biggest question on my mind is not, hey, what would I like to do today? What, what, what's going on in my world? It's what are the priorities that Jesus has for me today? That's what I want to seek most. And that's gonna drive us to do certain things. That's gonna drive us to invest in our relationship with Christ. That I wanna seek the things that are above. And first and foremost, that's that's Him. I wanna spend time talking to Him. I wanna spend time in the Word of Christ. If we care about the priorities of Jesus, it's gonna mean we wanna make disciples. We wanna share our faith. We want to see more people know this new life that can only be found in Jesus Christ. It's going to drive us to serve the body of Christ, the the church. But then you think, yeah, I seek the things that are above. I mean, Pastor Ben, I don't think we can all just quit our jobs and go do full-time ministry. I don't think it works that way. No, and I don't think that's what the Bible is telling anybody to do. Because if you kept on reading chapter 3, it would show how Christ's priorities, they're just going to, Take over all the things that you already do, like your marriage. If you were to go to chapter 3, verses 18 and 19, it's going to say, okay, now, husbands, this is how you should live. Wives, this is how you should live. These are Christ's priorities for your marriage. And And you should seek those every single day. That, hey, are you an employer? Are you an employee? Christ has priorities as to how you should go about that. Employees, it's not all about your paycheck, and it's not all about your boss. It's about your leader, your master, the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, employ yours out there. It's not just all about the bottom line. It's about realizing, hey, you might be the boss of a lot of people, but you have a boss in heaven, Jesus Christ. Seek his priorities. Even go about your work in the ways that he would want you to. And We're going to talk more about that in our small groups tonight but I'm going to live with the focus that Jesus is my leader every day, even all the things that I'm already doing. What would Christ want me to do in that? And what what would his priorities be in the relationships I already have in the job that I already have? But he's not just a leader says that God exalted him in his right hand as leader and savior and savior. That makes me uh, think of that phrase there in verse three, where it talks about your life is hidden with Christ in God. That idea that that your life is hidden with Christ and God, really, there's there's a lot of implications of that. But one that I would like to highlight for us is that that is an image of total and complete security. That your life now is is somewhere that's totally safe. It is hidden with Christ in God and and nobody can touch it there. That's something that should affect your motivation, that you're living this life not trying to Earn anything, or earn God's love, or earn uh, your, your salvation, or you're living it out because it's safe right there, and so you want to please Him. But then also, it offers protection that following Christ, say, okay, He's my leader, I want to follow Him. From a worldly perspective, at some point, that's going to get you into trouble because Christ's priorities and the world's priorities are going to clash, and for you to say, okay, I'm going to follow Christ's priorities, that's going to be hard, and that's when it's so comfortably remember, no, my life is hidden with Christ in God. And if the world is telling me I'm wrong, I, I know I'm safe and I'm exactly where I need to be. Because my life is both safe right now in Christ and I know what's coming. Which brings us to the future, which we really find there in verse 4 of chapter 3. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That if you are a Christian, There is a certain future for you. So, point number three live for a new destiny. Live for a new destiny. Think more about that day when you are going to see Jesus. And that is going to change so much. Guys, do you remember when you saw your bride for the first time on your wedding day? Do you remember that moment? You saw her there in her wedding dress, smile on her face, maybe tears in her eyes, and she was coming to you. Weren't there a lot of things that in that moment just didn't seem as important maybe as they used to? I mean, in that moment, were you still thinking about the, the guys that picked on you on the playground as a little kid? Was that a big deal to you anymore? That job one time that you got let go of, were you thinking about that in that moment when you saw your, your bride? Were you thinking about the harsh political climate or, the, or an upcoming election in that moment? I don't think so. You had a different set of priorities. That, that one moment changed so much. And even the hardest parts of your life in that moment on your wedding day or uh, ladies, as you saw uh, your husband for the first time, a lot of those things just melted away. Can you imagine what it's gonna be like to see Jesus for the first time? when you see the one who died on the cross for your sins, the one whose hands and legs inside was pierced for your sins, when you see the one who is right now seated at the right hand of God, and when people who get a vision of what Christ is like right now fall on their faces, when you see him, and when you see the one who will reign forevermore, but is also prepared a place for you and given you a role in that kingdom, isn't that gonna change so much about how you really think about this life and what is important to you? And now thinking about that moment, does it solve all the problems in your life right now? No, but it gives you an anchor. It gives you a hope to hold to. And even when you think, hey, you know what? I'm going through some trouble in in my marriage right now. It at least gives you something. You know what? I'm going to live to please Christ. Because on that day, when I see him, he's going to be the one that matters more than whatever my spouse has done to me. And so until that day, I want to make sure that I'm doing what he tells me to do in marriage. Make sure I'm doing that as an individual. And it gives you direction I want to live my life in such a way that I'm setting myself up for that moment when I see him. And if you want to look at the answer to the why question and the mode is in the New Testament, there's no way you're going to get around this focus on the future. That someday we will see Jesus. We will be with him. And that should be a powerful thing that motivates us every day when we think about what he's done for us in the past, given us this new life, when we think about who he is right now, seated at the right hand of God, when we think about the day that he will appear, all of those things, that's what should motivate us and drive us forward in the Christian life. The last couple of weeks, I've been spending some time with uh, my car. And the first thing I did is I washed it. Uh, you guys know those times when it's been a really long time since you've washed your car? I mean, somebody wrote wash me on it months ago and you can still see it. You know those times? Yeah, I was in that spot. And I was tired. I was, you know, I'm not taking it somewhere, paying money for people to do it. I went to Walmart, got all this stuff, was washing my own car. Getting out there, you know, you can start seeing your reflection. Oh, this, this is good. This is nice. Feel good to wash the car and get it clean. But then this morning I went in and got a tune-up, got the oil changed. I made sure everything in the engine is working the way that it's supposed to Work. Especially because next week I'm driving to Utah and back and I want to make sure I'm going to get there. So we think about, hey, I've got this trip I'm going on and I want to make sure that I'm going to get there. Which of those two things that I did with the car is more important? Washing it and making sure the outside looks clean or making sure that engine is working right? It's definitely the tune-up. It's definitely the engine. And that's really what we're about here at Thrive. Thrive. We don't just want to come in here and just make sure the outside is looking nice and make sure everybody has this uh, great Christian smile on their face. And hey, here's a few things to just make your marriage look a little better, or your family look a little better. No, we want to get under the hood. Do you have what it takes to get you where you need to go? Do you have what it takes under the hood to go the distance? And ultimately, what it's going to take is that relationship with Jesus Christ, where you know what he's done for you. You know who He is, and you're trusting in what He is going to do for you. And that's what we're all about here at Thrive. And as we go on at the next couple messages in our Cornerstone series, which will be about a month from now, we're going to start talking about marriage and what is, what is the Bible? What direction does the Bible give us? But it's all got to start with, what is that motivation? Why are we doing this? And it all revolves around Him, around Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do stand in awe tonight. And God, when we've we've been around church for any length of time, or we've read the Bible or grown up in the church, it's so easy just to gloss over phrases like, if then you have been raised with Christ, without realizing what an incredible reality that is. What a monumental statement that is to say, I was dead in my sin, but now I'm alive in Christ. And God, it's so easy just to get sucked into all of our daily responsibilities and get caught up in the world that's going on around us without remembering that someday we are going to see Jesus. And so many of the things that we're concerned with now are just going to melt away in that moment. God, give us that right perspective. May our lives truly revolve around Jesus Christ. And may Thrive be a place where we encourage each other in that. And where with that as our motive, God, with that as our engine, uh, God, we are driving forward and growing in our Christian lives and seeing us transformed from one degree of glory to another. God, so we lift this all up to you for your glory, God, and, and for our good in Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, let's go.